Uh, Gospel of John tonight, there's handouts back there. If you didn't get one, they're on the back table. So feel free to go back there and get one of those. Excuse me. But just as we kind of uh, getting back into the swing of things here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which were done last spring, these are called the synoptic gospels. And that's because they, each of them describes a lot of the same events that went on in the other one. So you hear uh, kind of Matthew's take and Mark's take and, and Luke's take. And so they contain a lot of the same things. There are, there are differences um, in each of those, but uh, they do describe many of the same things that are going on. Uh, in those books uh, in regards to Jesus and the life of, of Jesus. They take more of a biographical and uh, chronological approach to Jesus' life. So they are kind of, they're more uh, orderly, in a, not that John's not orderly, but they're more orderly in a sense of, of, and things that are going on. And so this is kind of the approach they take. The Gospel of John follows more thematic and theological track. So it's going to talk about who Jesus is. And that is the whole point of John is who is Jesus? John draws mainly upon events and discourses not found in the other gospels to prove uh, to his readers that Jesus is God in the flesh. And these are uh, important doctrines that we need to know is that he is God in the flesh. He's not just a man. He was fully God and fully man at the same time Uh, that he came, that he was was the eternal word who came to earth. And that he was born to die as God's sacrifice for human sin. So all these are our core beliefs and core theological doctrines that we need to know and we need to understand. There's a lot of things, preferences, things like that out there that we can differ on. But there's some things such as these things that we're talking about tonight uh, that we cannot differ on. They are the main things. They are very important. And so John wrote these uh, for this purpose. He begins his defense, and what you're going to see tonight is that he writes this defense that Jesus is the Son of God. And he starts right out of the gate. Um, He starts strong in uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then you go to verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as only the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if you go into verse 29, it says, The next day John, talking about John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he starts strong making this case that Jesus is the Son of God. In the first four verses, we see that Jesus was in the beginning. He's eternal. He was with God for all eternity past. That's hard for us to understand is that we serve one God in three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has existed eternally as the Son of God. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is speaking of Jesus. So we see that Jesus was in the beginning, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Creator. It says all things were created were made, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And we also see that Jesus is life and light. And so these we, who who is Jesus? And John starts very strong out of the gate talking about and making this case of who Jesus is. <clears throat> This entire gospel's message is found in verse 29 when John sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he looks, he sees Jesus walking and he points to him. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. And it's as if the Apostle John is saying, this is his message throughout the whole book. So in every page of the gospel of John, he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God. So every page, he's talking about that. And so keep that in mind as we go throughout this tonight, is John is saying, behold, uh, the Lamb of God. So a little bit about John. Jesus nicknamed John and his brother James, the sons of thunder. And you can see that in Mark chapter 3, 17. We're not going to go there. Uh, This probably referred to their intense, outspoken personalities. Uh, We can go and look in Mark chapter 9. Hold a place there. Go to Mark chapter 9. We'll see a little bit about who John is. 
<clears throat> excuse me, Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Am I in the wrong place here? I think I'm in the wrong place. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 9. That must have been a typo on my part because I don't know where that is. Luke, Luke chapter 9. Verse 51. And so keep in mind there. Their, the personality, their, their strong and outspoken personality. So in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. <clears throat> but they did not receive him because his face was set <clears throat> for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So he's almost saying they were, they were not prepared. Uh, they disrespected you. So let's just, we'll just call down fire and consume them. Let's kill them. And so this is kind of, and Jesus says, no, don't, don't do that. It says in, in verse 55, it says, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are, you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So this kind of says a little bit about who John and his brother James <clears throat> were. They were the son of Zebedee, and their mother's name was Salome. They were from Galilee. Of course, they were fishermen by trade. So these were not well-educated men. Uh, so they were, they were a trade, as, as a trade, that's what they did. That's what their father did. That's what they, so, of course, that's what they learned and helped him growing up. So that's what they knew. Um, in fact, according to Luke chapter 5, they were partners with Peter. I'd never seen that before. But they were partners with Peter. So they knew Peter uh, and, and uh, Andrew, James and John, these, these apostles of Christ. They knew one another. They worked together, but they were fishermen. And what we see in Matthew chapter 4 is the brothers left all to follow Christ. So when Jesus called them, there was something about him. They, knew, they clearly knew something about him. But there was something about him when he said, come and follow me, that they left everything. They left their families. They left their father and he, all the work. He had to do all the work himself at that point. Um, they left everything to follow Christ, their careers, um, maybe all their hopes, their dreams that they had had. Um, they left all these things, <coughs> excuse me, to follow Christ. After the ascension, we see that John, along with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, that James, not John's brother, but they became a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. So they're the ones that really were the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church after Christ ascended back into heaven. Church tradition says that John eventually went to Ephesus. And also there's another tradition that uh, he was persecuted under the Roman emperor Domitian, Domitian, I'm not sure exactly how you say his name, but the early church tradition says that John was taken to Rome and he was thrown to a vat of boiling oil and that he came out unharmed. But there's nothing, he came out and, and miraculously uh, nothing, was, nothing had happened to him. Um, many people believed in Jesus as a result of this miracle. So this is church tradition, so it's, it's not scriptural, but it's interesting to hear a little bit about uh, the things that, that were written about John from people of that time, of that day. So as a result of this miracle, many people came to know the Lord. Um, and then Domitian banished John to a lonely, rocky island called Pat Patmos. And it was in this lonely, rocky island where he was all by himself that God revealed to him uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We call it the book of Revelation, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what did he see? What did God reveal to him about Jesus? Was he a humble servant? No, this is the glorified Jesus. And he saw kind of the end of days, the end of things, and he saw the glorified Jesus. This is what the revelation of Jesus Christ is about. It was in this lonely place that God sent him. <clears throat> Clearly, it was God who sent him there. And it's at that time he, he revealed this to him. So John wrote uh, the Gospel of John, 
Revelation and also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, many people believe that he spent time in Ephesus um, and, and encouraged and, and helped those pastors uh, there. And in his later years, John, and by the way, John lived to be old. You know, he's probably in his 90s, maybe close to 100 um, when he died. So he was the oldest living disciple. He was the only one who was not martyred for his faith. Um, he did face persecution, but he was not killed for his faith. And so in the later years of his life, he became the last living link to Jesus Christ. His eyewitness accounts gave unparalleled credibility and teachings um, in, in the writings that he did because he was there. He saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw the things that had happened. He was there. He was the last eyewitness of Christ. And so that's a little bit about John, um, who wrote this book. Um, hold, go, if you're in John, go to chapter 20. Remember, we talked about every page on the, in the book of John. It's as if John is saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And we see the theme and purpose of this letter found in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 30. says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is why John wrote this gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this is why he wrote this book. And it's important for us to understand that <clears throat> what it means to believe. What does it mean to believe? Well, what it means, what it means here is to entrust one's spiritual well-being to Christ. Are you trusting your life to Christ and what he did? The Greek word for believe in this instant means to believe in Jesus is the Messiah who is sent from God. That you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he was the Messiah that came from God, that was sent from God. That he is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? This is why I wrote this book. This is why I wrote this letter is that you may believe this. This is John's purpose that you would believe. And John selected signs uh, he, he used with apologetic purpose of creating intellectual and spiritual conviction about the Son of God, that you would learn about him, that you would know him, not, not only intellectually, but also spiritually as well. That you know about him, that you learn about him. So it's an intellectual and a spiritual conviction. And so a conviction is not just, a, yeah, I think that's true. A conviction is something that, uh, it's like an anchor, this conviction is that I'm not going to be, I will not be moved. My belief in Christ will not be moved. It's unable to change. And so he wants you to develop these convictions <clears throat> about the Son of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. The key verb in John is the word believe. It requires both knowledge and the volition of the will, which is this faculty, the power of using one's will. So as God's word is preached... In, John, in, in Romans chapter 10, says that faith comes by what? Hearing. So a lot of times you hear people say uh, that live your life in such a way that you don't even have to speak the gospel. That's just not, it's not true. You can live a great Christian life and never say why, and they're going to die lost thinking that you're just a good person. They need to know why. God's proclaimed word produces faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. And so as God's word is preached, as it's spoken, it produces, it births faith in the, in the hearer. And so we must hear the word of God. Our faith, and we are, it, faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, by the way. It's not something that you come up with on your own. It's a gift. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so we, we must, uh, so we have faith that comes by hearing God's word. Then we humbly submit to him for salvation. That once faith is produced in us, then we submit to him. And that's, that's the willing, it's the thing of the will. And so the predominant theme of this gospel is, is, is a dual response of faith and unbelief in the person of Jesus Christ. So go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
verse 36. It says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And he shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And whoever, those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And also given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming uh, in which... uh, the hour is coming in which all who are in graves will hear his voice and come forth. And those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So he's speaking here in both of these instances of is there's faith and there's unbelief. Those are our two choices, faith or unbelief. Those who have faith will, will in the resurrection will have eternal life in heaven. Those who, who do not believe, refuse to believe, will be separated from God for all eternity. And so what he's saying here is they've passed from death to life. And, he said, and he's speaking of when the hour is coming, he says they will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. They're gonna, they will live. And so we are dead spiritually when we hear the voice of God, when, he, when the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in our life, uh, we, when he, he does a work in our life, we respond to him. It brings us to life spiritually. So the keys to John, the key word is Jesus, the Son of God. The key verses are in John chapter 1. Let's read that one first. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 11. Says he came to his own, his own did not receive him. But as many as have received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe, again, this is the key verb, believe in his name. Those who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then, of course, go back to John chapter 20. So those who believe in him become his children. And then we're just going to read this verse again. We, you'll hear it a couple of times tonight. But John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. So memorize this verse. Memorize this passage. And so every time you read John, know that this is why it was written. It's written purely so that the reader will believe. This is why he wrote it. And then the key chapter is in John chapter 3. I know we're going back and forth. John chapter 3. And I'll start reading in verse 1. Hopefully you're you're familiar with this this, uh, passage here. But John chapter 3 verse 1 There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe now, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man uh, who is in heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 16, most famous verse uh, in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his own Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him might be saved, that the world through him might be saved. <clears throat> he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, the condemnation, that the light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be done clearly, be clearly seen that uh, that they have been done in God. And so what we see here is this conversation. Again, Nicodemus comes and says a couple things. But this is, a, this is Jesus uh, speaking to Nicodemus, who is a religious leader, a Pharisee of the time. And so he's, he's, he's speaking to him about being born again and all these things we're going to look at here in just a second. But then he begins to say why he came. He's speaking, he calls himself the Son of Man. He says, this is why I came. I came to, to save the world, not to condemn the world, verse 17 says, but that the world through him might be saved. <clears throat> he who believes in him is not condemned. So this is how we, we, are, we are saved or forgiven. We come, come to the Lord we, by faith. When we believe in him, we are no longer condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. And so what we see here is this difference between belief and unbelief. And see, we're either one or the other. Either you believe or you don't. And so there, there's all, you know, if you talk to our culture, hear, hear, hear people talk and all these things, there's all kinds of different things and crazy ideas you'll hear out there. But the bottom line boils down to, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is or do you not? And that's why John wrote this. He says, he tells Nicodemus, uh, who does become a believer later on, but he says, you must be born again. So this conversation with Nicodemus and testimony of John the Baptist, they provide the setting that clearly points out that being born again is the only way to find the kingdom of God, to become part of the kingdom of God. Verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The phrase born again literally means born from above. Jesus answered a question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask. He begins to talk. So Nicodemus comes and asks him. He says, oh, yeah, you're a teacher of the law. He, he begins kind of this conversation, and Jesus just takes it from there. Because he really knew what he was asking. He knew what he was asking. He knew what he needed. And so he knew what, his heart, what was in his heart. Jesus answered a question that Nicodemus doesn't even ask. He, he read Nicodemus' heart. It came to the very core of his problem. And what was the core of his problem is this need for spiritual transformation and regeneration. He needs a new heart. He needs to be cleansed and needs a new heart. Nicodemus didn't even know what to ask or how to ask it. But Jesus knew. He knew exactly what he needed. He needed a new heart. He needed to be regenerated. Uh, and that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. So new birth is an act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to the believer. It's something that he does to you. It's an, active, it's an active working of the Holy Spirit that brings about salvation. And in that moment, you're transformed, you're regenerated, you become a new creation, and you've been given eternal life. You're now a part of the family of God. Nicodemus didn't understand this. And later on, he would come to understand it, but at this time, he didn't. So put yourself in his, in his position, though. Uh, and the Holy Spirit, he did not have the Holy Spirit. Um, but put yourself there and, and the way you've been brought up. Think about how you were brought up. And some of those things that you were brought up to, you were taught, maybe you believed growing up, and they become challenged later on in life. And it's really hard to break away from what you were taught when you were young. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, is to break away uh, because what you've been taught all your life is not what it is different than what you're hearing now. Well, this is Nicodemus. He'd been taught something his whole life, and this is different. This is different what Jesus is telling him. And so we understand it's a work. What Jesus is talking about is a work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 8. It says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
This regeneration of the spirit, it cannot be controlled or understood by, by uh, human, human beings. So think about it. When the wind blows, you can, and we don't know really where it comes from. We don't really understand how it all works. Uh, we, don't, we, can't really, we can't, certainly can't control it. But we, understand, we see the effects of it. And so he's, when he's talking here, he's talking about this Holy Spirit. Is that we can't, it can't be controlled or understood by humans, but its effects can be witnessed. So where the Spirit of God is at work, there's undeniable and unmistakable evidence. What he's talking about is a changed life. And the Holy Spirit doing a work in you. And so when you are born again, the Holy Spirit does a work in you, and there's evidence. There's evidence. We don't understand how it all works, but we understand as the Holy Spirit comes, dwells inside of us, and our life is changed, and there's evidence of it. Even if we don't really understand that or how it all works. And so this is one of the key passages in John. I want to spend the rest of tonight, and this is what I put these on your handout today, uh, so you can take those and, and... be able to go back and look these up, but we'll, we'll look as at, at many of them as we can. I don't want to go too long, but we're going to look at Christ. What, what does John say about Christ in these different areas? The book presents the most powerful case in all the Bible for the deity of the incarnate Son of God. And so the first thing we see, the deity is seen in Jesus in the seven I am statements. Uh, go to John chapter 8. And just when I say deity of Christ, meaning that Jesus is God, just in case that's confusing. So John chapter 8, before we start talking about the I am statements, uh, verse 56. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Who's he ta- what's he referring to there? He's referring to the burning bush, right? He's going back, he's saying, before Abraham was, I am. What did God tell Moses to say his name was? I am. They knew exactly what he was claiming. They knew exactly what he was talking about to be. They said, you're not even 50 years old. How, how can you say you've seen Abraham? He says, well, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So they knew exactly what he was talking about. This angered them. Because what they understood is that he was talking about the burning bush when God came to Moses. He's saying, I am God. And to them, that's blasphemy. That's why they picked up stones to to, uh, kill him. And so the deity of Jesus is seen in seven I am statements. And that's not one of the I am statements. But the first one we see is in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 35. It says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me... He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse um, 48, he says this, he says it again. I am the, and he just says plainly, I am the bread of life. So what was kind of the situation happening here? He had just fed the 5,000. He fed the multitudes and he went away. And the next day they come back and they're searching for him. Why were they searching for him? Well, they were probably hoping to be fed again, right? That's one reason. Uh, they were curious. Um, they were, uh, you know, this is not, Jesus was not like anybody else. Uh, he, the, he, there's something different about him. But also, they fed, he fed them. And so he had just got done feeding the 5,000. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I can give you food and, and feed you for today. He says, but, he, but I can satisfy this hunger that you have forever. He says, I am the bread of life. And in every one of these statements, he's saying, I am God. That he's saying, only I can do that. But he had just fed the 5,000, and then he stands up and tells them, I am the bread of life. Um, Then we see the next one, I am the light of the world, in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He says, I am, I am the light of the world. And then in chapter 9, verse 5. 
He says, he says it again. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what's the situation that's going on here? The, in, in chapter 8, is he forgives the woman caught in adultery. He says, I am the light of the world. He tells her to go and sin no more. They brought, him, they brought this woman who should have been stoned, and she received, she received mercy and grace from Jesus, and she was forgiven. And so he says, go and sin no more. He, he, was, uh, he was light to her. He is the light of the world. And then we see in chapter 9, he heals a blind man that nobody else could do that. Only Jesus could. So imagine being blind in complete, utter darkness, which we are. We're spiritually dead before we come to Christ. He's, this guy was in, physically was in darkness his whole life. And then Jesus comes and heals him and, and gives him his sight. And so this is kind of, and he says, I am the source. I am the light of the world. Uh, he walks in, in, in the light and will not stumble uh, in the darkness. If you read in John chapter 1, well, that's one thing John talks about a lot is light and darkness. And he says that he's the light of the world. In John chapter 1, he speaks about uh, those who refuse to come to the light uh, because they, they love their sin. That's actually John chapter 3. But they love their sin. They love the darkness. And so when we come to the light, we come to Jesus. He is the light. And we can see things for what they really are. We can see him for who he really is. We can see the truth um, of the gospel and of, of God. And so he is the light of the world. He illuminates our hearts, illuminates our minds, illuminates our spirits to understand who he is and what, and, and what he's about. And then John chapter 10. Jesus says, I am the door. I'm the door in, in verse seven in chapters, verses seven through nine. Then Jesus said again, most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. And then he says again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then the next one is in John chapter 10, verse 11, when he says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Then verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. And so he, he so he says, these are kind of go together. He says, I am the door. So he is the only way in. Again, John 14, 6, we'll look at here in a minute, when he says he is the only way to have access to the Father. Well, Jesus is saying he's the door. He is the only way in. And then he's the good shepherd who cares and loves the sheep. And what we see here is that Jesus is contrasting his love, his love and care for his own with the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. He's speaking to the Pharisees in this situation, and they were bad shepherds of the people. They were all in it for themselves. They were in for personal gain. Um, And he says he's contrasting his care and his love for his people with the Pharisees who were all about themselves. They were in it for themselves, in it for financial gain, uh, uh, recognition, reputation, all these things. They were in it for that. And so he he is making the difference, showing the difference between him and them who were the bad, who were the bad shepherds, uh, so to speak. And then in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he's talking to Martha here, the sister of Lazarus. And so this is a situation where Lazarus had died and Jesus is about to raise him to life. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he, may, though he shall die, uh, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever believes in me uh, shall never die. Do you believe this? Here how many times he's talking about believing. This is the, this is the theme of John is belief. It's belief. In Jesus, that he is the son of God. And so he says, I, he has all control. He has control over life and death. He has all power. He says, I, I am in control of this. Do you believe this? And so uh, we see that he state, he's stating something again about his deity here, that he has all power over life, over death, and all things. And then the sixth statement 
number 6 is in John 14. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying, I am the only way to give access, to have access to the Father. He reveals the only way to the Father is through him. Again, he is the door, and he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. It says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So this idea out there that there's all roads lead to the same place, all these ideas out there that your God's as valid as my God and, and my, belief, my faith is as, as valid as yours and vice versa, uh, John doesn't leave any room for that. It's, it, he, people say, well, that's exclusive. How can you? Well, Jesus said it. He says, there's one way, and it's through me. And so it really doesn't matter what our culture says, doesn't matter what our world says, what does Jesus say? And if we claim that we believe in Jesus, we have to believe his word. And his word says that he is the only way. There is not another way to, to God the Father. And then John 15. This is the final I am statement, John 15. Verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of, fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. What we see here, Jesus is saying that he is the only way. Remaining in Christ is the only way to bear fruit and to bring honor to God the Father. Which bringing fruit, bearing fruit in our life brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ and honors God the Father. So remaining in Christ is the only way. Jesus is the source of this fruit. Only the Spirit can produce this fruit in us. Fruit, speaking of evidence, evidence that you belong to Christ. Uh, you can go to Galatians chapter 5 and you can read the fruit of the Spirit there. Um, also, it, it can include... Uh, you know, proclaiming the gospel and leading people to Christ. It can be all kinds of things, but it's things that honor the Lord. And there's fruit of the flesh, which Galatians 5 deals with as well before the fruit of the Spirit. And there's also fruit of the Spirit. And they're called fruit of the Spirit because it's something that the Spirit produces in us. And so we speaking of here is the only way for the Spirit of God to produce fruit in us is that we remain in Christ. Remain connected. He is the source. He's like he's the roots. So what happens to a tree when you cut a limb off? It dies, right? It dies. Um, so we it has to be connected to the root source. So Jesus is the root source. He is the source of all all things. He's the source of fruit that's produced in us. So we have the seven I am statements. Then we also have the seven, there are seven signs spoken of in the Gospel of John as well. These are specific things that are chosen in order to build a concise case for his deity. Again, deity meaning that he is God. They're called signs because they symbolize the life-changing results of belief in Jesus Christ. So when you have an encounter with Christ, when he saves you and the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you, you are changed. It changes the course of your life. Um, a lot of, you know, and maybe you brought, maybe when you were saved, you're saved older, and you brought some things in, in with you, some baggage, some bad habits, things like that. And, and sometimes those things don't necessarily change overnight. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. But we're, at a, at a minimum, we're changed at the desire level. Our desires are changed because we've been given a new heart. And so these signs he, he speaks of here, he chose them very carefully, very carefully, uh, because, they're, because they symbolize this life-changing results of belief. And the first one is in John chapter 2. We're not going to read all of these, but John chapter 2 is the miracle of uh, when he turned water into wine. 
And the this this external these are external external examples of what ha- what's happening, the reality of what's happening inside. But this water to wine, the ritual of the law is replaced by the reality of grace. The ritual of the law, the wine was better than the water. So grace is better than the law. Is the law bad? No. It's not bad, but the law condemns. The grace brings life. So the law is good. It's a good thing. It was a good thing, but he turns water into wine. So this ritual law of the Old Testament was replaced by the reality of grace as a picture of that. The second thing we see, second sign, is healing the nobleman's son. And what we see here, and that's in John chapter 4, the gospel brings about spiritual restoration. He was not whole. He was sick. And when you're sick, you're not whole, right? You're not, it's, if one thing goes wrong, your whole body is messed up. It mess, and it affects a lot of things. So we're not whole. But what we see here, the spiritual application here is that the gospel brings spiritual restoration. We are made whole. Not perfect, but we're whole in Christ. The next thing we see is the healing of the paralytic. We see the weakness replaced by strength. That this guy was powerless, the, the paralytic was powerless to do anything in and of themselves. But when he had this encounter with Christ and he was healed, he was changed. His weak, he, his, in his weakness was replaced by the strength of Christ. Then the fourth sign we see is the feeding of the multitude. We see that Christ satisfies spiritual hunger. That only he, and by the way, everybody hungers spiritually. Every single person in this world hungers spiritually. Um, and this is, there, may, there are people who claim to be atheists, but I believe scripture teaches that there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Because Romans tells us that there's evidence and that everybody knows that there's a God in Romans chapter 1. They may choose to, to suppress that. They may choose to idolize themselves or idolize whatever, something, else, something else. But, they, but we, all have, we, all have the, we all understand and know that there's a God. We all know. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, oh, lost my place there. So he's talking about that he, he so we all have the spiritual hunger. You think about paganism. Paganism. What are they trying to do? They're trying to appease some god. Think about Greek mythology. What are they trying to do? Appease some make-believe mythological god. They're trying to please the gods. Uh, So we it's something that's placed in us. And when Christ fed the multitude, what what he's speaking of in John chapter six is he says that he can he alone can satisfy the spiritual hunger that each one of us has. And we can search for it in all different kinds of ways and all different kinds of things, and we're going to come up empty. But he is the only one who can satisfy. Next thing we see in the fifth sign, fifth miracle, is walking on water. What we see here is the Lord transforms fear uh, to faith. They were terrified. They saw him coming, what they think he was? A ghost. Right? They're terrified. They're in a bad storm. Uh, or they're, in the, they're in this bad situation. They see Jesus walking, and, uh, and, it, and they have fear. But he transforms their fear to faith. And we need that as well. We need that as well. The sixth sign is sight to the blind man. We see that Jesus overcomes darkness and brings light. Overcomes darkness and brings light. Um, again, and then number seven, the seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus. And we see the gospel brings people from death to life. Uh, we have to understand that we are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. We are born spiritually dead. And it is the spirit of God working in us that gives us life. And so the raising of Lazarus, what we see, this, this outward, this physical picture of this inward reality, is that when you came to know Christ, when you believed the gospel, you were brought back to life. You were dead and you were brought to life. So these signs, they combine, all these signs combined here show that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And this is why John wrote this, is that you would understand, that you would see that Jesus is the Son of God. And so to summarize this tonight, again, the theme and purpose, let's read it one more time in John chapter 20. This is why it's written. 
the theme and purpose here is John chapter 20. It says, And truly Jesus did many other, other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he says Jesus did a whole lot of other things. He did a lot of stuff. He says, But these are written... These things that are in this, in this account are written for a very specific purpose. And that purpose is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing in him, you may have life. Because Jesus brings life. So this theme and purpose is that we, first, the first application here is believe for salvation. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, that's, that's first and foremost. You have to believe, put your, your faith and trust your, uh, put your faith and trust in him for your salvation. For those who are saved, it's what John does for us, it helps us grow in our faith. Helps our faith grow as we read these things. We can grow in our faith and solidify our belief in Christ. Remember we talked, we talked about conviction earlier. Conviction is like an anchor. It can't be moved. And so there's things that happen in life sometimes that are difficult and they're tough. And in those moments, we need our faith, we need our belief in Christ to be solid and solidified. This is an opportunity as you read John to solidify your belief uh, in Christ. And so there's some that need to believe on him for the first time for salvation. And then those who have believed, whether it be a short time or a long time, we want to grow in our faith and be solidified in our belief. One more thing I want to talk about here is in John chapter 21. One thing we we can apply here is that we follow Christ. When you believe in Christ, the next step is to follow him. We don't believe in Christ just to get out of hell for free. We don't believe in him just so we have eternal life. Uh, we, we, uh, We come to Christ because he loved us first. And he, and he saves us. And so because he saved us, because we love him, now we walk it out. We live it out. We don't, we're not just trying to get out of hell for free. It's like, no, we love the Lord. And so we want to serve him and would not want to dishonor him. And so in John chapter 21, verse 18, this is when Peter's restored. And he's having this last kind of last conversation we speak of in John, what we see in John. In verse 18, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked it where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then it, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw him, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, is the one who... Bet- who said, Lord, who is, who is the one who betrays you? Uh, Peter, seeing him, said to, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so <laughs> Jesus is telling Peter, this is how you're going to glorify me. He says, you're going to glorify me by dying. And you're going to die by crucifixion. He tells him, this is what's going to happen to you. And he says, hey, what about him? What about John? What's going to happen to him? He says, that doesn't matter. That's not for you to know. And so what he said, you follow me. Well, what about him? Well, no, no, you follow me. And that's the call for us. And that God is saying to us is, you follow me. And that may look different for each one of us. The calling on your life is different. Uh, is, now, we have a general call in our life to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And there's several places in Scripture that say this is God's will for you. But also he's gifted you and he's, and he's given you different uh, situations and circumstances in your life. And he can use those things and wants to use those things. And maybe he's, t- he's gifted you in certain ways and he's going to use you differently than he's going to use me. And so he was telling Peter, this is how you're going to glorify me. You're going to die. That's great, right? You're going to be crucified. You're going to die. And and he he wanted to know, what about John? He says, no, you follow me. And of course, that's what he said by John. He's telling John as well, you follow me. We walk out uh, God's calling on our life. 
So because he saved us, we put, we, you know, God birthed faith in us. He gives us, I, I believe it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift that God gives us is faith. We can't come up with that. And because of that, because he died for us and he paid the penalty of our sin and he saved us. Now we love the Lord. And now because of that, we want to walk with him. We want to follow him. And Peter did that. He walked uh, and followed the Lord all the way to death. John followed the Lord all the way till his old age, but he went through some difficult times, even when he was sent to Patmos um, all by himself. He lived, it was a difficulty that he had. Two different callings on their life, but the, two different, let me say, one calling, but different ways to go about it, different ways, specifics that God calls. And so John and Peter were different. But the point is, is that we follow Jesus walking out God's calling on our life. That's what we're called to do because we believe in Christ. And so John lays out this compelling case in this book for believing and following Jesus. He, he, he get, lays out all the evidence. And we talked, we talked real quickly through them, but the seven I am statements, the seven signs, and there's so much more in there you can go read yourself because we just don't have time. But he, say, he lays out this case and he says, now it's up to you. You have two choices. There's only two options. Not three, not four. There's two options. You either believe or you don't. It's belief or unbelief. The choice is yours. Will you believe Jesus and who that he is who he says he is? And will you give your life to him? Will you follow him, whatever he calls you to do? Or will you not? Those are two choices. And so the choice is up to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. And, and it's so good, good to be back. It's good to be back on Wednesday nights. Uh, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I believe that most of us in here do believe in you. So for those of us in here who have placed our faith and trust in you and we believe in Jesus Christ, would you help us to follow you? Whatever you call us to do, would you give us the strength to follow you? Just as Peter um, in his calling and John in his calling and how they were same calling, but they just were, they were walked out differently. Um, Lord, help us to understand what you're calling us to do. Would we be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Would you continue to work in us and change us and make us more like you? That we can, that our faith would grow and that our belief in Christ would be even more solidified as we uh, each and every day of our life. Lord, we understand that difficult times can come and, and we're uh, in a tumultuous times in our culture and in our nation today. And, and uh, so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and continue to grow, continue to uh, do whatever you call us to do. And that we see people come to know you. That's, that's what we want to see is people would come to believe in you. And that's why John was written is that we may believe that you are, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And so help us to proclaim that message to those who don't know you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.